Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Pitch to Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Kuh. John, how has your week been Twins-related and non-Twins-related? Well, Twins-related, it's been going great. Uh, went to two games this past week and uh, 2-0, and so clearly uh, I'm the only reason why we're getting wins, uh, so... Uh, it was in the. It was. A, I went to both the middle match of both series, so it was nice to nice. see some good offensive output, um, especially yesterday with Joey's Gallows Homer, who I'm not convinced it's hit the ground yet. So, um, yeah, it literally broke Statcast. We didn't get data on it till this morning, and the data yep. we got was a little disappointing because turnout it went a lot more high than it went far. Right. Yep. But still, man, those Joey Gallo moonshots are insane and. Yeah. Yeah, Joey Gallo's fun. He, he's good to watch when he's going. There's been some rough patches, but mm-hmm. anytime he barrels up the ball like that, man, it's incredible to see. I don't think I've ever seen someone hit the ball like that. Yeah, it was 38-degree launch angles. Like I was, so I was in the area that's above the bullpen, so I couldn't have a great view of um, of that, that part of the park. So I just saw the thing just sky in the air. I'm like, that looks almost like a routine fly ball, but the crack <laughs> off the bat was just so loud that it's like, that's got to be gone. Um, and so you're just waiting for the roar of the crowd. And then when it was that, it was like, all right, yeah, I, I knew it. I, knew I don't it. know if you've, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was the screenshot. I think it was uh, Wes Neski who was still pitching, uh-huh, yep. uh, but his face when Joey Gallo makes contact, he's just wide eyes, his mouth like drops <laughs> open. He's, he's like, I didn't know it was possible for somebody to hit a ball that hard. So yeah, yeah definitely uh, something that got twins Twitter going and uh, all of baseball Twitter just shocked at uh how hard Joey Gallo hit that ball, but right. that's Joey Gallo for you. Right. And then today in today's game, I was yeah. watching it on TV and then that the Homer that he hit, I literally was, I like audibly gasped when I, when I saw he, when I saw the hit, cause it was just like, you just knew it was gone. Yeah. Oh man. What a guy. Uh, some quick programming reminders for you. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod uh, to make sure you catch every single episode. Uh, and make sure that you also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave a five-star review uh, if you enjoy listening to us. We really appreciate all of those as well. Uh, so today's podcast, we'll be going over the last week of Twins baseball, as always. Uh, the Padres and the Cubs series in particular, some big takeaways, and of course, a lot of roster moves, a lot of going-ons behind the scenes with the Twins that um, have sparked a lot of conversation this week that'll be good to hit as well. Uh, so before we get into that, let's give you a quick snapshot of the week. Uh, so this week, it was 4-2 and two with series wins over both the Padres and the Cubs. Uh, really good series wins in both with the offense coming to life against the Cubs here at the end of the week. Uh, For the season, still first in the AL Central. Still the only team in the AL Central with a winning record. The AL Central, it just means more. It's kind of like the Big Ten West. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Little little crossover for you here. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, Both the White Sox and the Royals are on pace for 100 lost seasons. Uh, The Guardians are starting to hit a little bit more along with the Twins. The Tigers are actually in second place right now. I don't know if anybody plans on that keeping up, but it is what it is. There was a couple day long stretch where the Yankees who are in fifth place in the AL East had a better record than the Twins who are in first place in the AL Central. And so that never looks great optics wise, but that's the AL Central. Don't have to be that good. Just have to be okay. Yeah, there was a really funny graphic where I think someone took a screenshot of the AL East, AL Central standings, and it was the AL East was above the AL Central, and they just said the teams are in order. 
And they were because they at were. that point the Yankees were better had a better record than the Twins. And it was just <laughs> it was just really sad to see. <laughs> Definitely. But that's kind of what the they were expecting this more balanced schedule to do, right? Is mm-hmm. now instead of the twins maybe getting to ninety five wins because they play the uh, AL Central more, maybe they only need eighty eight to win the division. And so we're obviously we would love for the twins to do better than that, but so far it's kind of about gone as advertised. Um all right, and with all that, let's start getting into the games. John, take it away with the Padres. Yeah, we'll start with game one, which was a 6-1 loss. Um, the starter was Louis Varland. Six innings, five hits. Um, just one run, though. Two walks and six strikeouts. Uh, just a much better start from Varland after uh, a poor outing the week before. Fastball touched 98.5, so he was clearly feeling something. Uh, 95.6 average, which is kind of what we were expecting from Varland. Um, and the cutter and changeup had good results, able to limit the damage really well. Um, it was a 6-1 loss, but he only gave up one and run, and that's because of the relievers. Um, we had an unfortunate sequence of events for Griffin Jacks in the seventh. Um, there were three defensive errors. The first one was um, just a kind of, it, I don't know if I'd call it a routine grounder, but it was, you know, hit down the first baseline. Kirilov uh, opted to go for it, and then Jacks went to the bag. Um, and then Kirilov just kind of missed a little bit with his throw and eventually was charged with an error. So they weren't able to get the out there. Um, but then there was a couple kind of miscues with Christian Vasquez trying to pick off a couple of players. One of them, including uh, Fernando Tatis, I believe. And that gave Tatis kind of a free bag in the third, all that resulted in two runs for Jax, even though he didn't go for many hits um, did walk two batters though. So it wasn't completely not his fault. Um, he's been struggling as of late. Uh, you know, early in the season, I think, you know, he was the kind of the go-to setup man. I think a lot of people probably had him ranked over Jorge Lopez in who should be getting eighth inning duties. Um, but it's been, it's been a little rocky for him this season. Um, ultimately, Pagani came in to limit the damage, finished out the inning. And then our uh, friend uh, Jorge Alcala came in in the ninth with a run-run deficit and probably gave up a three-run homer to Manny Machado. So, uh, that's how you end up losing 6-1 when your starter goes six innings with only one run. Yeah, I, I'm i a stout Griffin Jacks defender. Every, but for whatever reason, every time he takes the mound, something weird happens. There's a bunch of weak uh, grounders that somehow get through or little bloop hits. And you know, this time it was Christian Vasquez and Alex Kirilov causing a little bit of damage. But... I still think he has it there. I was talking about this with John Foley, one of our staff writers at Twinkie Town. He's a big analytics guy. He was digging into Griffin Jacks, what's been going on. You know, with this, he has another weird outing uh, later this week as well. And it mostly just does seem like he's getting unlucky. Now, there is something to be said where if you're getting unlucky every single time you're pitching, then maybe Mm -hmm. it's something about your pitch mix, about how you go about things. And his theory was um, he could actually be getting hurt a little bit with the lack of a shift uh, with – uh how many sliders he throws yeah a lot of batters when they're up there are sitting slider they're staying back and so they're making contact Mm -hmm. uh as the ball gets a little bit deeper into the zone there and with the twins unable to shift to adjust to that maybe that's just why more of the weak ground balls are getting through this year as they were compared to last year but stuff stuff wise as far as that goes his fastball looks better his slider looks better he added a cutter that looks okay and so I, i still believe in griffin jacks i think it'll be okay but it is a little bit too much unluckiness happening all at once. Yeah, and I'll talk about this a little bit later when we when we cover um, one of the one of the games in the Cubs series. But yeah, Jax is Jax is interesting because he's basically seventy five percent slider, twenty five percent fastball. 
And that fastball honestly doesn't do too much, and he doesn't really locate it particularly well for it to get good results either. Usually it's just kind of in the zone there as a pitch to basically provide a little bit of reprieve from just going slider all the time. Um, and yeah, when, when that slider isn't fooling people and it's just sitting in the zone, um, it's easy for, for teams to kind of tee off on it a little bit because they just know that's just what they, that's just what they need to sit on when they're facing jacks. Yeah, definitely. But hopefully he can turn things around. The good news is surprisingly Emilio Pagan, very reliable. And so yeah. he was mm-hmm. able to clean things up for Jax. And he, other than that weird outing where he had to come in and clean up some innings for uh, Kenta Maeda, yep. he's been pretty stellar. Yeah. It, and kind of going back to Jax too, not to get too much on the analytics, but his slider is like kind of in the 80th percentile in terms of like quality, um, according to uh, metrics we have at Pitcherless. So he, he clearly has a really good slider. Um, it's just... Yeah, sometimes not working. Uh, of course, in a 6-1 loss, that, that also means that the bats didn't do too much. Um, but it wasn't actually that they didn't do too much. They got five hits and six walks, so they were able to get on base. Um, they were just one for nine with runners in scoring position. Uh, this game was mostly notable because Correa grounded out to end the ninth with men on second and third. He was booed and then eventually dressed that in post-game comments saying, like, yeah, I'd boo myself too if I was getting paid, you know, $200 million and not being able to do anything. Um, and speaking of John Foley, he actually had an article come out the day before on Monday on Twiki Town, basically talking about why the Twins have struggled with the bases loaded or just in general with runners in scoring position. Um, and funny enough, someone actually asked Rocco that question after this game as well, and they both kind of said, well, we just don't have good swings, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, with Correa... I think obviously you would like if he's performing better, but as far as his response to the situation, that's exactly what you do want from your franchise player, right? You don't want him being up there, being all defensive, be like, oh, fans suck, blah, blah, blah. He owned up to it. He's like, I haven't been very good this year, you know, and that that's on me. I need to do a little better. Obviously, there's a lot maybe saying that kind of like Griffin Jacks, he's been getting extremely unlucky to start the season. And, you know, we started to see some more signs of life later this week. But, um, I, I was really encouraged by this response. We all know Correa is a great worker. He's super smart in how he approaches things and how he goes about the game. And so to see that, uh, you know, I would say generally positive response to a negative reaction from the crowd is pretty encouraging in my opinion. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later, just kind of general team offense dynamics. But Correa, he kind of has the advanced statistics on his side a little bit in in – kind of explaining why he's struggling. And so I think it's just something interesting for him. Obviously he's really big into analytics as well. Um, And so for him, I think he's also just kind of having, uh, you know, a positive outlook on this, just like knowing that at some some point the results have to kind of go his way. Um, And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he continues on past this week. Obviously this past week, he was great offense wise besides this one blip of a game. Um, But yeah, consistency will always be the key for this team in terms of offense. Uh, moving on to game two, then, um, it was a 4-3 victory. Pablo Lopez was the starter with 6.1 innings, two hits, one and run, four walks and eight strikeouts. Um, pretty good bounce back start for him after a couple tough games. Um, he was mixing up the pitchers more as he's facing a more balanced lineup in the Padres. They have a kind of an even mix of righties and lefties. So he wasn't relying on the changeup or the slider um, heavily. It was just kind of a mix of both of them, which which worked out pretty well. Obviously, you don't love the four walks, um, but 
being able to limit the damage and, and not getting a lot of men on base is pretty good. And just a great start to shut down a really dangerous Padres lineup that is super top heavy. Um, and yeah, ultimately it was a close game four three. And part of that was again, the relievers don't love to talk about it, but it, it just happens. Um, Jorge Lopez had a blown save um, in the eighth. I believe he went fastball heavy, uh, but Part of this was because of the situation of the game. Um, they had runners on second and third, I believe. Um, and I think Tatis was one of those guys. And so Cronenworth was up to the plate. They don't want Cronenworth to do any real damage to them. So uh, Jorge Lopez was just basically throwing high fastballs, um, just trying to see if Cronenworth was going to chase um, chase those out of the zone. But he was a little, he was more disciplined at the plate. So ended up walking Cronenworth. Um, and then ended up basically run scoring, tying the game at 3-3. Duran came in in the ninth, ended up pitching two innings because his first one was extremely efficient. Curveball was nasty, getting ground outs. Um, but in the 10th, he fell victim to a squeeze play from the Padres. Brought ninth in the 10th. And then Jax actually came back in the 11th. Um, he had a tough situation coming in because the ghost runner was actually Tatis, who is extremely fast. Um, he walked Bogarts, which was a similar, similar situation to Lopez, where he's just trying to get him to chase a slider. It was like basically like four sliders just out of the zone, just hoping Bogarts was going to swing. Then the Twins intentionally walked Soto to load the bases so that Jax could face Max Carp- Matt Carpenter, who then he struck out. So it was good to see Jax, at least when he comes up against in these high leverage situations against the top of the order, he was able to deal with it well enough. Um, and then I think the Twins strategy wise was kind of sound. Like you don't love it when they give free passes or just try to get guys to, uh, you know, just strike out just even against non-competitive pitches. Um, but ultimately when you're facing a lineup like the Padres who can just do damage uh, really quickly, um, I thought it was actually a solid decision for Rocco in how they manage the relievers in, in those late inning situations. Yeah. Matt Carpenter is still a good hitter at this point in his career. He's not as good as he once was, but if you have to choose between Xander Bogarts or Juan Soto or Matt Carpenter, you take Matt Carpenter every single time. Right. Yeah. Um, and the bats here, uh, Correa was actually, he actually responded to the poor performance in game one, got one RBI and two walks. Uh, the Padres actually intentionally walked him in the 11th. They didn't want him to do damage there. Um, Solano was a big contributor to the game, despite only having one at bat because he came in a pinch hit at the 10th against Josh Hader, who we all know has been, you know, one of the better closers in the game for the last few years. And he just smoked a, a grounder down the first baseline to score really Castro that ended up tying the game in the 10th. And then in the 11th, Alex Karoloff, here of the night, with a walk-off single. Um, so a good night for for the Bats, even though it was a low-scoring game. I think they came in, they they produced when it mattered. And I think that's that's the good takeaway from here. Definitely. It's nice to see Karoloff get that big hit. Um, you know, kind of bring him to life a little bit, get him a little more comfortable. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the Solano hit. I think it's also good to mention Nick Gordon, who got a single off of Hater, lefty yep. on lefty in the middle mm-hmm. of that rally there. Uh, I don't think there's pretty much any situation where you want Nick Gordon facing Josh Hader, but the Twins were basically out of bats at that point, and Nick Gordon put together uh, a decent at-bat, put the ball in play, and did what you needed to do. And, you know, he's had a really rough start to start, to start the season, but he's starting to come around now, and he's looking a lot better the last couple of weeks. Yeah. A few notes from the game, too. Nelson Cruz uh, made his second appearance at Target Field as a member of the opposing team. Um, just a nice ovation for him when he came in the pitch in the eighth, I believe. Um, Twins fans, obviously, you know, we're, 
Nelly is, even though he was only here for two and a half years, I think we're all very appreciative of what he did for the team, especially that Bomba squad um, and just kind of bringing those young guys up. So, um, yeah, it was just nice to see from the Twins fans. And then, yeah, just going back to reliever um, strategy, I thought it was cool that they brought in Durant to pitch in the 10th. Normally, you know, in the past, they probably would have been like, oh, you pitched the ninth and let's just go to another guy in the 10th. But because he only, I think he only threw like nine pitches in that that inning, um, I think they were pretty smart to be like, all right, we think we can. he can still handle the extra workload. Yeah, no, it, it was a good move there. I kind of like seeing Duran Moore go out for those multiple inning situations. I think that was part of what made him so special last year was mm-hmm. being able to be that multi-inning fireman. And obviously with the Twins bullpen and a little bit of a different situation this year, you really only have three maybe reliable relievers you can really count on with Jax, Lopez, and Duran. Jax has been shaky, so maybe that number's down to two. And so unless you want to see a bunch of Brock Stewart in the ninth inning, you know, I get why they've been handling it the way they have so far. Yep. And then moving on to game three, the rubber match of the series. It was a 5-3 victory for the Twins. Bailey Ober started with six innings, six hits, three earned runs, and six strikeouts. Uh, just one of those starts where it's actually kind of fun to look at his strike zone plot because it's just classic over fastballs high, secondary stuff low. Um, just really good pitch separation here. Um, yes, he did give up six hits, but two of those earned runs were on solo homers. The third one came off a fluke play where uh, Juan Soto hit a ground ball that bounced off over, or also would have just been a routine ground ball. There wouldn't have been an earned run there at all. So ultimately, just a, just a solid start for him, giving the offense an opportunity to win there. Yeah, no, I, I think Bailey Ober has continued his really hot start from this from spring training, and there's a good argument to be made that he was better than Kenta Maeda to start anyway. It's just kind mm-hmm. of the roster situation forced him out, and as long as he's healthy, he'll be starting every five games. Yeah, uh, the bats here, uh, Gallo actually had a pretty productive night, two hits in a walk, um, because he. One thing to note was that he had just recently broken out of an eight game hitless streak. Um, even though it didn't come with any homers, I think when Gallo was able to get on the bases and just provide a little bit of offense, um, it's nice to see instead of the you know the feast and famine sort of uh, swings that he goes through. And then Correa uh, came in clutch with a two-run double in the seventh, ultimately giving the Twins the lead for good. Um, and yeah, they kind of they just did enough. And I think part of that is Ober giving them you know six solid innings of only three earned runs. Yeah, definitely. Well, moving on to our next series with the Cubs. Uh, game one was a 6-2 loss. Sonny Gray was a starter here. 5.1 innings, four hits, one earned run, one walk with nine strikeouts. Uh, honestly, really good stuff from him here, even though the stuff wasn't electric. Uh, he decided to use the curveball less in this start. Um, it's been his best pitch this entire season, but in this one, he opted for more sinker. Uh, can't really argue against the result, though. Nine strikeouts and one earned run is, is really good. Um and yeah, the bats, uh, it's just been the level of you know, consistency, right? Like they had two, or I guess really only one game where they were pretty solid. The other two games in the Padres series weren't that great. Uh, and kind of the same story here in, in this game. Drew Smiley looked like a really decent pitcher, even though he, he really wasn't. Um, yeah, per Doyoung Park of MLB.com, this is actually the 14th time this season that the Twins offense has been held to two runs or fewer. And that's not really a good recipe for success. Uh, considering that, yeah, that's that's not exactly half of the twin the the twins games. But when you're giving when you're unable to produce, you know, more than two runs in a good chunk of your games, that's just not pretty. Yeah, I think part of it is the the twins just haven't been very good at 
against lefties, at least by the eye test. I haven't actually looked up the numbers, but eye test, it seems like they haven't been very good against lefties this year. Um, and I think if you think about it that way, it makes a little bit more sense where you don't have Gallo in there. You don't have Kirilov in there. When Larnick's with the team, you don't have Larnick in there. You didn't have Kepler in there. And so, um, you know, those aren't just guys in the lineup. They're guys that are typically hitting in the middle of your lineup and that are supposed to be big contributors to the offense. And so when you're instead running out uh, Donovan Solano and Willie Castro, it's easy to see why someone like Drew Smiley can look a little better, even if that is a little disappointing from the twin side. And that kind of goes back to, um, something they needed all off season, which was a good right-handed bat to come off the bench. Right. I hope they had that in Solano. Uh, you know, he's Donovan Solano. He's fine. Yeah. That's why weirdly Kyle Garlick was like supposed to be a, you know, a, a solid part of this team because he was like one of the few right-handed bats um, that could play in a corner outfield position. Um, and I just looked this up because I was just interested versus righties. They're 13th in team OPS. Versus lefties, their third worst in team. There you go. So I test was right this time. There you go. Yeah, and I mean it makes sense, right? Like you said, like their best batters are, you know, usually lefties. Obviously, Correa and Buxton are, are righties, but um, yeah, those power bats for sure take a dip when you're facing lefty on lefty. Um, yeah, the, and you know the reason why this ended up being a loss, even though Sonny Gray had a really good outing, was again Griffin Griffin Jacks um, four hits, two and runs. Uh, with this one specifically, he had a lot of sliders in the zone, um, and that just allowed the Cubs to, uh, you know, tee off on those. You know, when he doesn't have good command on, on that slider and the fastball just isn't getting any strikes, it just really ends poorly for him. Um, and then Alcala just had another poor showing in a one-run game. Uh, I was looking at his career stats. Uh, mind you, he was out last season, for most of last season, with injury, so his his previous season with where he was healthy was 2021 he gave up 10 home runs in about 60 innings uh through 14 innings this season he's given up four homers so that's like a quarter of his workload uh, in um in 2021 and he's already given up four so uh definitely have a home run problem but it, it, at the same time he also has a walking problem uh his walk rate has more than doubled this season and yes, he, we're not using him in high leverage situations, so maybe it's not doing as much damage. But when you're trying to keep it close in these, you know, one run games where, you know, the Twins offense could pull off a victory uh, when he's in the game, it just it always for some reason just ends up not being close after he gets off the mound. And the stuff still hasn't looked quite right since being injured most of last year. The fastball doesn't have the same velocity. The slider doesn't quite look as sharp. And so. You know, it, it makes sense that it's getting hammered out uh, when it, when he's throwing it in the zone. And then because of that, he's maybe staying away from the zone and walking a few more people. And uh, he, he is another great example of just the bullpen problem we've been talking about for the Twins all year. It hasn't been as big of a deal this year as in previous years because the starting pitching has been so good. They're pitching into the sixth almost every time out, a lot of time to getting into the seventh. And so then if you're just running out, Jax, Lopez, Duran, you're totally fine. But now without Thielbar in the mix, you're kind of down another guy that you want to be having at the end of the game. And with Jax struggling, it's really put a lot of pressure on Brock Stewart, who has gotten very lucky, I think, that his walks haven't come back to haunt him. And Alcala isn't pitching well. Moran isn't pitching well. I think the Twins were hoping one of those two guys could regain some of their form from before and at least emerge as a mid-leverage type of arm and so far they both looked pretty poor 
yeah, to illustrate how lucky Brock Stewart is, he is an 071 BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play, which is completely unsustainable, and a 100% left on base rate, which, like, <laughs> like for relievers, those aren't, like, insane numbers because we see relievers, you know, generally, they're only pitching one inning, and, you know, if they are able to escape, um, it usually works out well, but that is just incredibly low. Like, an 071 BABIP is just unsustainable. Um and his walk rate is uh is nine nine walks per nine. So he's basically walking a batter every single uh every single uh, inning he goes out and pitches. So um yeah, he's been really solid this season, but I I don't think he's you know a, a guy that we were like, oh great, he's our next setup man. Um the, I think he's still very much like a uh a, a bridge sort of reliever. The the twins will definitely be adding an arm at the deadline. There's no doubt about that. The only question is if they can make it until then, if it's going to come back and really hurt them before then, if Lopez or Duran has to miss a couple weeks. Okay. Now you're in a really tough spot because pretty much everybody else on the 40 man roster is a starter. And so can you convert any of them to short relief with that short of a time span to do it? If not, I don't even know what you would do without uh, Joe on Duran right now. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. Well, moving on to game two, this one uh, was a super fun one. Um, as I mentioned, I was there for this one. Uh, Joe Ryan with six innings, uh, four hits, one walk, and 10, 10 strikeouts in a 11-1 to victory. Just a great day from Joe Ryan. The fastball was incredible. 25 combined whiffs and called strikes. Um, basically, half of his pitches resulted um, in... Uh, it either yeah a whiff or or a called strike which is which is pretty sick. The splitter was also pretty decent enough to get a few strikes on its own. Um, that's always been the harping thing with Joe Ryan. The the secondaries aren't really there, and the splitter was kind of there. It was it was good enough to get a reprieve from the fastball. So just a great start from Joe Ryan. Uh, and it was kind of funny because the Twins continued the tradition of just giving him all the run support he needs and then some. I think this is like the fourth start that he's had where the Twins have scored more than nine runs or nine or more runs. So. Uh, yeah, when he pitches really well, it doesn't, the stats don't always look that great because it's like, well, that's because, uh, yeah, the, the offense was destroying. So maybe he didn't have to pitch that, that well, but part of it was because Kirilov had two homers. Uh, he had one in the first inning and then, uh, another one later in the game that was in my opinion, more impressive because he basically took, uh, Wisniewski dead center. Um, and then he also had a ground rule double. So 10 total bases for Kirilov, um, He's had a he's had a couple of solid games, but this was definitely kind of the breakout game where it's like, oh yeah, he's healthy, um, he's feeling good. Uh, like we mentioned, Joey Gallo had the longer homer in history uh, because we still don't know if it's touched the ground yet. But Statcast did eventually uh, say that it went for I think around 422 feet, um, which is still not near the record set by Miguel Sano, which I believe was 496 feet at Target Field. Um, the funny thing with that was I think Dick Bramer on the call for the game was just, I think he just went, wow. <laughs> when Gal hit it. Yeah. It wasn't just, wow. It was like, he was like shocked. He was like, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the greatest thing he've ever, he's ever seen. It was so yeah. hilarious. It, it had a 38 degree launch angle, which is just it, like, if that doesn't call say moonshot, I don't know what it is. Cause that's just like, like I mentioned at the, at the game when I was watching it, like it, I thought it was like a routine flyout, just how high it went. But man, that he just muscled it out of there, which is so impressive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, Rocco's just been setting up lineups to take take advantage of the platoon. Um, worked out against Wisniewski. He gave up homers to three lefties, including two to Kirilov. So he gave up four homers essentially to lefties. Um, and 
yeah, Buxton actually wasn't in the game for this one, I believe. Um, and it still worked out. Um, great day from Pereira, too. Two for, uh, he went two for five with three RBI. Um, had a homer in the seventh, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's kind of taken a little bit of that accountability from that first game and been able to put a string of good games together. Definitely. I loved seeing this game from Alex Kirilov. Uh, the biggest indicator that we've heard from the Twins of if he's feeling well is how he's driving the ball specifically to the opposite field. Mm-hmm. Kirilov can hit the ball hard everywhere, and when he's driving it to the opposite field, that's when you know it's healthy because with that wrist, that's really where you know it can start to bother you on those types of swings. And he hit an opposite field home run. Yep. He hit an opposite field ground rule double and he hit a dead center home run, right? And so this isn't just he was pulling the ball, he was getting on top of things. I like, know he was getting really good swings on tough pitches and driving them out of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something we saw today in the game, yesterday, and the walk-off single, every time he's making contact, he's hitting it really hard. And obviously he's not going to hit 429 for the entire year, whatever he's at right now. Mm-hmm. But if he's driving the ball, if he's hitting second, fourth, fifth in the lineup – uh, that completely changes how the lineup looks. Yeah. Uh, if you were at this game, the best part was when Cubs fans started a Let's Go Cubbies chant in the seventh when they were down 7-1. <laughs> part of that, though, was because Giovanni Moran decided to make things interesting and load the bases. So, I mean, I guess a rally can happen anytime in baseball. Um, but, uh, yeah, thankfully, Giovanni Moran was able to finish out the inning um, and, and the Twins came away with that victory. Uh, and then finally, the rematch, uh, game three, Twins decided, hey, that offense thing was kind of fun. Let's do it again. And uh, won 16-3. Louis Varlin took the bump, 6.1 innings. Actually, that was his longest career start, which I thought was kind of like a weird mm. thing to celebrate. But at 6.1 innings, congratulations, Louis. Sure. Uh, four hits, three and runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. He was actually perfect through three, which is pretty cool. He was really efficient. During those initial innings, the the broadcast was kind of comparing his start to Marcus Stroman, who threw almost 30 pitches in his first inning. I think Varlin finished his out in about nine nine pitches, I think, in his first inning. So uh, just, you know, good stuff from him. He gave up two solo homers. Didn't really matter, though, because, again, the Twins provided some run support. Fastball was a little slower this time around, but honestly, I wouldn't really worry too too much about it. He used it a lot um, in this game as well, more than he's used in his last three starts. And the secondaries were good. Cutter and changeup did well enough to earn whips. Fastball, even though it was at a little bit lower velocity, was incredibly effective, was getting whips and called strikes. Um, yeah, so just another good start from from Louie. Um, and those seven strikeouts are definitely definitely nice for a guy who, you know, didn't start with the team. Um, probably for a good reason. I don't think he would have made it as the number five guy. Um, but just knowing that we had that arm available if injury happened, um, and he's able to come up with a with a start like this uh, is pretty solid. Yeah, I, just I think Louis Varlin's whole story obviously is incredible. Late round draft pick who the Twins developed really well. You know, it's yep. a big credit to Louis as well. But um, something they mentioned on the broadcast that I didn't realize is at this point in his career, Louis Varlin has made eight AAA starts and nine uh, MLB starts, and so really? he's made more huh. starts for the Twins than he has for St. Paul, which is pretty incredible. And Having this type of guy as your fifth starter, man, we've come a long way from Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer and Devin oh. Smeltzer. It's it's yeah. so nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, because uh, the thing was he was drafted in 2020, obviously, so I had the COVID season, didn't play rookie ball. Yeah. 
And then 2021, um, I believe he earned minor league pitcher of the year awards yeah. uh, from the twins. So, you know, he was showing up in, in single A and double A. Um, and then, yeah, finally got the call up last year. Um, did pretty reasonably in his five five starts. You know, nothing super spectacular, but you could tell that there was something there. And I think what's important is that, yeah, he worked this offseason to increase his velocity, get that stuff a, a little bit more disgusting. And yeah, he's had three, four really good. Yeah, four really good starts this season. I had a little blip in his second start, but the three of them have been really solid. Yeah, I, again, just Louis Varland and the ceiling he offers and the floor he offers are both significantly better than Dylan Bundy or Chris Archer last year, right? Yep. And this was a guy who was seventh on the depth chart coming into yep. the season. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's incredible that we're here, especially given the state of the offense so far, but that wasn't really an issue today. Yeah, well, the, the offense decided, hey, let's bat around twice in this game. Uh, <laughs> they scored seven runs in both the third inning and the eighth inning. Like the eighth inning's just kind of like, just make it stop, you know? Just like the Cubs are, the Cubs are already on there. They're already ready to get on the plane home, and, and we're ready to like, start recording, right? Yeah, <laughs> and the Twins were just like, no, let's just make this one hurt a little bit more. Uh, the third inning was pretty impressive because there was two no doubt homers from Larnack and Gallo. Uh, Gallo, we already mentioned that one was just, the, yeah, just incredible. The crack off the bat, but Larnick came up in a, you know, a good spot. There was two men on base. Um, and yeah, he just, he took one deep as well. Nick Gordon also almost joined the homer party. He just missed the wall by a few feet to dead center center field. Um, so, uh, Gordon, I believe that ended up in a double as well. So, uh, good for him. Um, and yeah, the, the eighth, I mean, they were going against a position player, but you know, might as well score as many runs as you can. Uh, some of the important, important notes here, though. Buxton broken uh, 0 for 26 slump, had a single in the third, ended up going 2 for 5 with two runs. So good to see him come back. Um, and then Gallo left um, after trying to beat on an infield single. Seemed like a hamstring thing, but the, the Twins haven't said anything yet if there's anything to be worried about here. Now we're still waiting for some more information there, but again, on the offensive side, uh, it's good to see another blowout like this. Um, Also, some breaking news for you. According to Dan Hayes of The Athletic, uh, Joey Gallo and Rocco expected to be in the lineup tomorrow at Dodger Stadium. So it seems like, if anything, it was just precautionary with the Twins up. You know, I think they were up like 10 at that point. So no reason to push it. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll be a good revenge series for him. Definitely. And it's good to see Buxton get going again, too. We saw this earlier in the year where he had just a weird stretch where mm-hmm. he wasn't making contact. He was striking out a lot and got a couple hits today, still struck out a few times. But, you know, th- this is kind of the up and down of Buxton. When he gets hot, he's as hot as they come and he hits the ball hard and hits it a lot. Uh, and when he's cold, he's going to strike out a lot. But hopefully, you know, we'll see a few more highs to lows as we get going. But I think the other thing that's nice from this game is having the back-to-back blowouts. You don't really need to go to the high leverage arms if you don't want to. Jorge Lopez did pitch an inning, I think, for no other reason, just to keep him on his regular schedule here. And, uh, yeah, no, it's just good to give the bullpen a break when you're limited on the high leverage options. Yeah, Alcala somehow managed to um, have a pitch a scoreless inning. So First time for everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back to you with some other news and notes before we wrap up the podcast. Okay, welcome back, everybody. So, 
First things first for this week, let's talk about the offense. We saw both the highs and the lows from this week. As we talked about, we saw the last two that were blowouts, seeing what the offense can really do when everybody's looking right, everybody's putting the ball in play. We saw the lows against the Padres early in the week uh, in Sunday Gray's start where the Twins couldn't really score against the Cubs. So, John, what do you think about the offense? Is this last two-game stretch sustainable? What do you want to see going forward? Well, they're not going to hit five homers in a game. <laughs> like, that's just not going to be a thing. It's not um, 2019 anymore. No, yeah. And, you know, the two of the homers this, this game were actually off legitimate pitchers. Taylor's homer was off um, uh, Miles Mastrobuoni. Sorry if I butchered that name. But um, I, I think it's at least encouraging that they were getting men on base. You know, like 18 hits. Like that's really impressive, right? Um, and the the thing that's probably been encouraging the most is that they have been able to get walks. Like they're not like completely dry in terms of getting on on base. Like sometimes the hits don't come, but they are generating walks pretty well, in my opinion. Um, you know, some maybe some important things to call out is, uh, and we'll talk about this a little later too. Jose Miranda was struggling a lot this season. He just got sent down. Call Farmer in his as a replacement, and Willie Castro as well as a replacement. Both have been pretty solid this week. Um, one thing to highlight specifically too is Carlos Correa. Um, like I mentioned, his stats have not been pretty. His BABIP currently is two thirty one, and that's barely above the tenth percentile among qualified batters. Um, and that BABIP is usually one of those things where it, it's usually a good indication of luck slash unluck. Uh, if you are, if you, basically, if you're not at average, kind of the expectation is you're going to regress to the mean. Um, and so for Correa, he's hitting the ball really, really hard. His, his hard contact, which is, you know, looking at how often is he hitting the ball over 95 hour, miles, miles an hour um, over to- total plate appearances. Uh, he's in he's above league average in terms of hitting the ball super hard. We've seen a lot of those just end up in a glove. Like they're not coming out for hits. And usually those are the balls that you expect to result in hits. He's 50th in the majors in RBI. So he's not struggling in that sense and getting guys in. Um, If you look at his, you know, expected stats, a lot of them indicate that he should be doing better. uh, Depending on, you know, whatever calculation system you're using. Fangraph says his ex Woba, which is expected weighted on base average is 318 compared to his current weighted on base average is 291. Um, there's just a lot of things here that should indicate that he should be able to turn it around. And then I think the reason why I'm high on Kareem is because he's such an integral part of the offense, right? Like he's batting second or third in this lineup. Usually if he's not doing well, that really stalls the offense um, early on because that's, those are the hitters that you expect to do well. Um, Gallo's just had a recent resurgence and he's been super hot and cold. So sometimes the team is just going to work the way it is when Gallo's feeling good. And Larnick was struggling. That's why he got sent down. Um, but coming back up, he seems to be doing decent in these last two games. Obviously, small sample size, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but the guy who was replacing Kepler, Kepler was weird because he had some clutch-ish like homers and, and hits, like he would he would hit a homer every so often, but his batting average was still only two sixteen. Like, and his his OBP wasn't that much better either. So, just struggling to get on base. You know, hopefully 
Larnick is able to, you know, give a little bit of a, you know, better shot to the offense in these next 10 days. Um, I, there's just a lot of issues with the offense. And I think it was nice to see them come out for these last few games. Obviously we can't expect them to go 10 plus runs every single game, but I think there's signs to show that this team is not a bad offensive team. I think last week I was talking about how the, all the advanced stats basically just say the twins are average. And I yeah. think they're, if they're average, I think that's good enough for me right now. I mean, if they're average with how good the starting pitching has been, you could win 95 games with that team. But yep. the problem is they've been below average production wise. Yes. And the big thing for me, the best sign of things moving in the right direction, I've been talking about it all year. I've been talking about it since before the year, but it's all about Alex Kirilov for me. He mm. was the one guy in the system that we weren't sure what we were going to get, but his track record is good enough where if he's healthy, if the wrist is good, he completely changes how the lineup looks. And I won't go on it much longer because obviously he's not, again, going to have a 1,400 OPS for the entire season, but he doesn't need to. If he can hit 270, drive out 20, 25 home runs, if he can drive guys in when they're on base, he's going to be good. He's one of the best hitting prospects the Twins have ever had. He's one of the, He was one of the best when he qualified um, in baseball. And he's the type of guy that changes the shape of the offense. The reason I say that, right, if you go back to the 2019 team, the main thing that's different about that team versus this team is Nelson Cruz, our our old friend, right? And Mm -hmm. I think we took a lot for granted how good Cruz was in 2019-2020 when he really had things going, right? He wasn't just a good hitter. He was one of the best hitters in all of baseball. He had 164 WRC+, which was fourth best in the league uh, behind – uh, Mike Trout and Christian Yelich and Alex Bregman. And so, you know, that isn't just good. That is otherworldly great in a season where people were crushing the ball. And so when you take that out, obviously you get Joe Ryan in return, which is great in a different sense. But when you take that out, it kind of opens everybody else up to be hurt. So, yeah, Kepler's regressed since 2019. The Sano isn't on the team. Buxton's gotten better. You have Correa now, right? There's all these different things that kind of get mixed and matched. But the big thing for me is having that guy right in the middle of the lineup where every single time he's up in a big spot, he's almost always going to come through, right? Mm -hmm. And so Kirilov doesn't need to be Nelson Cruz, but between the mix of Kirilov, Correa, Buxton, uh, you need that to kind of really be the centerpiece of your lineup and really start producing a lot better than they have so far. Yeah. And I don't take a ton of stock into specific splits because sometimes I think they're just so situational, but the twins, when they're behind have the, they're 24th in team OPS when they're behind in a game. Um, And I think like we've seen a lot of these blowouts and we are like, Oh, you know, I, I think that's encouraging, but a lot of times it's because they're ahead when they're behind. Um, they just aren't that good, but that also usually means that they're facing the top tier relievers of each team. You know, they're, they're in situations where um, the offense or the, the defense that they're playing is trying to protect a lead. So naturally that's going to, you know, result in, you know, worse performances. Um, but being 24th, uh, you know, essentially, which is seventh worst in the majors when you're behind, isn't always a good recipe for success. And I think that leads to a lot of consternation for twins fans, because it feels like, Oh, you know, why can't we, why can't we come back in games? Um, and, you know, why are we struggling to, 
you know, in, in these one run, two run games where we're only behind and, you know, like a, a couple good at bats could finish it off. Why are we always struggling? Well, the stats seem to indicate that we just don't do well in those situations right now. Um, even though we do really well when runners are in scoring position, um, we just for some reason can't get it together when we're behind right now. Yeah. And you mentioned this already, but, you know, let, let's talk about the third base situation because that relates to this whole conversation yeah. as well. A big reason the offense has been struggling to start the year is Jose Miranda. He was supposed to be, again, one of those fixtures in the middle of that lineup after a really solid uh, rookie year. And he's just been terrible, right? And um, I, I think his performance is related to another recently optioned Twins performance in Trevor Larnick, but they've been bad in different ways. Yeah. Larnick's issue is that he hasn't really been able to make contact. You know, it's well-documented. He can't really hit off-speed stuff very well, but before he was optioned, he was struggling hitting fastballs too, and he was just looking completely lost. Miranda, on the other side, he was making plenty of contact, but, you know, all the double plays, all the inning-killing double plays where, oh, second and third, one out, Miranda's up to bat, another weak grounder to the third baseman, 6-4-3, inning over. Mm. And so um, finally with uh, Kyle Farmer back from the injured list, which let's take a second to say how great that is too, that he was able to come back so quickly after getting hit in the mouth with a fastball. Um, but yeah, Farmer back. They made the move to option Miranda rather than Willie Castro, basically with the idea being, you know, Miranda, go down to St. Paul, just figure some stuff out, be a little more patient, take a little bit of a better approach, swing at better pitches so that you're not grounding out on changeups a few inches below the zone every time you're up to bat. And um, there, there's a couple ways to think about this. So right now, Farmer is the everyday third baseman for the most part. To his credit, he's been hitting the ball well. Um, you know, when he's made contact, he's been hitting it hard and his first at bat, I think he almost hit a homer that ended up being a fly out. He hit a homer later in the game. Yeah. Uh, he, he has double already as well. And so he's been hitting the ball well, but he's not the long-term solution this year or going forward for the twins at third base. And so where that leaves the twins is either Miranda improves and improves quickly or the spot opens up for Royce Lewis, who is currently on a rehab assignment at Wichita. He should get moved up to St. Paul relatively soon, uh, where he'll get the bulk of his rehab assignment. And he's eligible to return in about two weeks here on June 1st. And so once that June 1st date hits, if Royce Lewis was crushing the ball at AAA, there's a good chance that he'll be the starter on June 1st. Uh, Miranda has kind of played himself out of that starting position, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, he's been a disaster over there. Offensively, that was where he's supposed to make up for it. He's supposed to be better. Hasn't really looked that much better. Royce Lewis is a lifelong shortstop, so we figure he can handle third pretty well. And uh, as long as he's hitting, then Royce Lewis, come on down. You know, you're the starting third baseman. And so th there still is a lot of question about what Miranda's long-term role is here one thing we talked about on our twinkie town slack channel the other day was uh danny valencia and how mm, yeah. they may be following very similar career paths where they had really good rookie years and then ground outs can't make strong contact valencia kind of revived himself later on in his career as a lefty crusher but the underlying metrics are looking eerily similar between miranda and valencia and so However, this works out for Miranda. 
he's running out of time a little bit with Kirloff back taking over first base every day with Royce Lewis working his way back. There may not be a place for him to play soon. And of course, then that circles back to Byron Buxton because if he's out in center field every day, then we have the DH spot open. And then that's where Miranda, Larnick, Gallo, whoever can cycle through and really have your nine best hitters in there every day instead of your eight best hitters and Nick Gordon or Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, fun little fact about that Kyle Farmer flyout. Uh, it would have been a homer in 25 parks. He just happened <laughs> to hit it in one of the parks where it wasn't. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Miranda is kind of interesting uh, just because I was looking a little bit at some metrics we have over at PitcherList. And the weird thing with Miranda is just uh, the power's been sapped for him. Yeah. Like the power just isn't there this year, despite the fact that he was kind of raking in um, in spring. Um but yeah, it's been his power ability was like steadily going down over the course of last season. This season, it's been about league average or below league average. Um, and it's just been tough for him to generate any meaningful counting stats because the ball just isn't adding. It isn't just it just isn't getting extra bases, extra base hits, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, he's just been struggling in general. Um, to make good contact. Um, and I, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what will happen because I, I think with the whole Buxton situation, I, I think we could all argue that it's been a good experiment to have him DH uh, through the month of, for the month of April and May, for the most part. He's played in plenty of games. He's made an impact for the most part in the offense. He does have those hot and cold streaks. Um, and you know, there's the worry of like, well, when he, if he starts playing in center, like how much of the injury risk goes up all of a sudden. Um, but him being there, like you said, kind of closes the door on Miranda, Larna, kind of these power bats to make a difference. Um, and yeah, maybe Miranda ends up being more of a platoon guy than um, kind of an everyday starter, which just seems like a shame for a person who had so much potential coming in um, as a, as a rookie last year. And then this year as well, um, it'll be interesting to see how he does in, in AAA if it's kind of just a mental thing. Um, because clearly we know he can rate because he was just doing it two months ago down in Florida. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, all of, not all of 2022, he had a cold stretch in the beginning, obviously, and then he yep. had his infamous one-day option and then came back and was crushing pitching ever since then. Yeah, mm -hmm. He did cool off a little bit towards the end of the year, but um you know, he was a late bloomer in general, right? He didn't really come on to the prospect scene. He was available to be taken in the Rule 5 draft the year before the Twins added him because they were like, oh, we don't know what he's going to turn into. Mm -hmm. And then he put together a monster year at double and triple A the year after what he hit. I think he hit 344, 401, 572. That's a 973 uh, OPS, right? And so um, obviously that monster year, firmly put himself into the twins plans. And I don't think we've seen the last of Miranda this year. The baseball season is too long. There's too much going on. Injuries happen, yep. but um, in the fully healthy, fully realized version of the twins, right? There's a reasonable chance that he's, you know, could have played himself out because there's Kirloff, there's Gallo, there's farmer. There is uh, Royce Lewis soon. Brooks Lee keeps playing well in the minors. Right. And so, 
you have the top prospects that are sort of overlapping with him and maybe the ones that don't directly like Lewis and Lee now have become overlaps because the twins have signed Correa to this long-term deal. He's not moving off of short anytime soon. And so again, there's no way we've seen the last of Jose Miranda on the twins this year. And hopefully he responds similarly, similarly to Trevor Larnick, who just went down for a week and hit what, like 500 in yep. six games or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Two and homers, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and then was immediately called back up with Kepler going on the IL. Um, and so hopefully he responds similarly and is ready to go when this inevitable next injury happens. Right. And, and it's not a similar situation here, but you know, I think a lot of times play, players, it's easy to move off them when they're not performing well. And, you know, just the fans in general was like, oh, you know, he's not doing much. One guy who's been raking in the majors this year is Brent Rooker, who we traded to the Padres last year in the infamous Emilio Pagan trade. Um, it's the Chris Paddock trade. Emilio Pagan has pitched more, <laughs> but Chris Paddock was the point of the deal, not Pagan. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I mean, obviously the the headline at that point was technically it was Chris Paddock for, um, for Taylor Rogers, and then, um, you know, we got Pagan and we trade over Rooker and Rooker has been blossoming with Oakland this year, mainly because they have no one else to hit. So yeah. you might as well go with the, the 28 year old rookie. I think that's how old Rooker is. Um, that, that's also to say Rooker wasn't good last year with the Padres, or he actually got caught by the Padres picked up by the Royals and then they cut him as well. So when the Royals are also cutting you, that's when, you know, you might have a problem. Um, but yeah, he got signed up by Oakland is doing super well this year. I'm not saying that, you know, Miranda's all of a sudden going to have a career resurgence, but it's too early, in my opinion, to say that he's washed. He hasn't even played technically a full season right. of Major League Baseball yet. Um, so, And he, the, he still has another option year after this year. And yep. so it's not like they have any, like, big issues they have to have with him. If he has to spend most of this year at AAA, that's okay, right? Again, he's a late-blooming prospect who um, still – maybe just needs to have a little bit of a better approach. Yeah. And Brent Rooker, let's talk about Brent Rooker for just one more second, which is I fault the Twins in no way for that. Brent Rooker oh, was not good when they traded. He was a throw-in to open up a roster spot. That was yep. literally all it was. And so the Padres gave up on him. The Royals gave up on him. The only reason the A's have him is because they're actively trying to lose games. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, he's a great guy, and I'm super happy for him that he's doing well. Uh, that's awesome to see for his sake. But – no fault for the twins at all for letting him go. Yeah. And again, Miranda's only 25 or he's not at 25. He's still 24, but he's about to turn 25. Um, so there's, yeah, there's plenty of time for, for him to improve here. Yeah. So let's get to some other injury updates here. We already mentioned uh, Max Kepler just went on the IL with a hamstring strain. Uh, he's available to come back on the 23rd. In the meantime, Trevor Larnick will be up most likely starting every day in right field, filling in for him. Uh, also on the injury front, Royce Lewis, uh, who started his rehab assignment this week well ahead of where the Twins were saying initially. Um, he is so far two for eight. He scored three runs. He has an RBI. He has two steals. He started today in back-to-back -back games, which I think is the best sign, right, when we were talking before about Polanco and Kirloff and them going through their rehab assignments. It's very similar where the results aren't as important as the workload and the repetition building up that knee, making sure it's all there so that whenever he does rejoin the twins, he's available full time. I, yeah. I do think it's encouraging that he has two steals. Obviously it's, it's double a. So the catchers there aren't very good in terms of throwing people out, but 
he's willing to test that that ACL. He's willing to kind of run on that on that knee that's yeah. still healing. And I think that's just um, it's just a good sign to see because that is one of his calling cards was his athleticism, and being able to show that in the minors is mm. is really good. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I just said that the numbers don't matter as much, and I still think that's true. But for someone like Royce Lewis, they may even matter a little bit more because of all the injuries of the COVID canceled season. He's had such little time actually in the minor leagues that just getting some games under his belt might help. Uh, I think he's played like 50 games over the last four years in total. And so, you know, all the repetition he can get is going to help. And that's why I think he'll see most of his time at AAA, not AA, because he needs to see some more of those higher level arms than you're going to see uh, in Wichita. And so I would imagine he'll be up there soon. And again, I think June 1st, if he's feeling good, if the numbers have looked better than average, uh, there's a good chance that come June 1st, he's starting at third base for the Twins, which I think the Twins would be thrilled about because that's what, less than a year from the ACL tear, if, I'm, if I have that right? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember the exact date, but I'm pretty sure it was in June. So that would be yeah, uh, an amazing outcome. He had surgery on the 21st of yeah. June. So, so there you go. Literally less than a year. Yeah. Uh, so some other updates in the bullpen. Ronnie Henriquez was uh, activated from the injured list and option to St. Paul. I know the Twins really like him, so I figure he'll figure into the bullpen mix at some point this year. Um, I, I would, you know, say Alcala spot is obviously the most vulnerable there for someone who can pitch one or two innings and be okay. Alcala hasn't been that good. So if Henriquez shows some good numbers at St. Paul, then, you know, that's an easy swap to make. Uh, we haven't gotten an update on Caleb Thielbar, uh, but the diagnosis there was a moderate oblique strain, which is typically around the two to three week range. And so, with pitchers, those obliques are pretty tough. With any baseball player, the obliques are tough, but the pitchers especially with you know all the force they have to generate throwing max effort every single time. And so we'll see, but no updates yet on him. Finally, the biggest update of all, Tyler Malley. So Tyler Malley, yeah. it was announced, will undergo Tommy John surgery after being placed on the 60-day IL. Again, the initial plan for him was to be shut down for a month and then build back up after that, but I think – um, at the end of the day, the Twins just decided, you know, it looks like he's going to need Tommy John's every, anyway. There's a chance he could rehab and come back um, later on this year. But with pitchers, with this being, you know, the 12 to 16 month range, typically, it's better to get the surgery in soon so that ideally he can be back second half of next year, both for his sake. Uh, and if he comes back with the Twins because he's a free agent at the end of the year, their sake as well. But you know, Mally is someone who was hoping for a big year co going into that free agency year. And obviously that hasn't been the case at all. So first, let's just talk about the twins aspect. And then let's go back and we'll look at the trade because that's the other thing that people are really talking about. So mm -hmm. first, just from the twins perspective, obviously tough look for Mally. I think he only started eight games for the twins and he looked pretty good when he did pitch. But again, the issue was with him. He didn't pitch that much. And so. Uh, something similar, right, with Chris Paddock that we just saw. Uh, he got Tommy John surgery. He signed the three-year, $12.5 million deal. Basically, that bought out his last two arbitration years and his first free agency year. So basically, to get the number down, uh, the twin he gave the Twins a free agent year, and the Twins were able to get him for cheap so that hopefully they get two fully healthy years after this year that they'll get to see Chris Paddock. Tyler Malley is in a different situation because he's going into free agency. And so another good 
kind of comp for that would be the deal that the twins gave Michael Pinedo. That was, I believe two for 10. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Where basically the first year he didn't pitch at all. The second year was him in the rotation full time. The first year was just him rehabbing with the twins. Now this is a little bit of a different situation as well. Cause Mally's been with the team for nine months at this point. They know him a little bit better. Uh, theoretically they like him. Uh, they want to keep him around the organization. So if that's something that he would be open to, I would imagine the twins would be willing to give him, something similar to that Pineda deal, the two for 10. Uh, but John, what, what are your thoughts on the Mally tenure? It's, I mean, it's been rough. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, I was actually at his first start as a twin uh, and he was facing the Blue Jays. And the biggest thing about Molly, everyone was saying was, oh, he plays in Great American Small Park or Great American Ballpark technically, but it's <laughs> it's just tiny. It's a little league field essentially. Yeah. Um, so the home run issues, like that's just a case of just being pitching there. His stuff is great. Like, you know, uh, the home run issues will, will change once he moves places, right? He gets traded to the Twins. Target Field is historically a pitcher's park. Um, and then he gave up four homers that day. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, I get it that the Blue Jays are like really, really good and like a power, a powerful lineup. But it was just like one of those funny, just like, yeah, Tyler Molly. You know, getting traded to the Twins really fixed the whole run issue right there. Um, but we, I mean, we paid a lot for him, right? Uh, Spencer Steer was one of the top prospects in our um, in our farm system. Uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand also really solid prospect. Steer's been really good in the minor in in the majors this year. He's had five homers so far. He's kind of on pace for like a twenty homer season uh, with maybe around 60, 70 RBI. Um, CES, Christian Encarnacion Strawn has been really, really good in the minors this year. Um, and so, yeah, we, we paid a lot to get him. I I thought it was a fine deal because we were in the middle of a playoff run. Uh, you, we clearly knew that starting pitching was an, was an issue. Uh, again, Dylan Bundy and um, Chris Archer were our four and five. So just getting rid of one of those in favor of Todd and Molly would have been a great situation. Um I, I thought it was a fine deal. I think the unfortunate thing was just that, yeah, he pitched, I think, four games for us, and then all of a sudden had this mysterious shoulder injury that no one could figure out what was going on. Um, and eventually got shut down. Coming to this season, I actually had some pretty good starts. Like, I was encouraged by what I saw from Molly. Um, but then, yeah, just had, had a couple issues with the shoulder, had that right elbow issue, and then now here we are he needs to go, he needs to undergo Tommy John and it's, um, it's a little tough. It's a little tough to, to process the whole thing because you, I don't think you can blame the twins for what happened. It just, it just, it went the way it went and it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I think there, let me push back on one thing you said, where you say the twins gave up a lot. I don't think the twins gave up that much for him. I think he was a pretty cheap ad. The trade to get him was Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Steve Hajar for yep. Mally. Um, now, he, again, he's been good when he pitched, but at the time, Steer was a 24-year-old who had a breakout season at double a right here i think he had played like 30 games at double a played like 30 games at triple a before he was mm-hmm. traded he looked really good at double a he looked okay at triple a um and was fine but hadn't done much of anything before that right and so he was an older prospect who was in the futures game but 
we've already talked a lot about the congestion the Quint, the Twins have long-term in their corner outfield and corner infield positions. Mm-hmm. That's where he was going to be, and the Twins didn't have a spot for him. There are plenty of people above him on the depth chart. The same thing can be said for Christian Encarnacion Strand. Older prospect, he was in the, in the middle of a minor league breakout that year, hadn't done a lot before that. He's taken another step forward this year, and so maybe long-term that looks better. But at the time, it – it was totally fine, right? And Hajar, the Reds have already traded to the Guardians, I believe. I don't think he's thrown a pitch this year. And so he's a non-factor. I'm kind of discounting him from right. this trade. He was a throw-in. And so I don't think the Twins gave up that much for him. Now, the reason they didn't have to give up that much for him is because he had been on the injured list twice that year already with, they called it a shoulder strain. This other shoulder issue was supposedly unrelated to that. Um, but since then, on and off the IL with that shoulder issue. He didn't pitch that much last year. And then this year, of course, the Tommy Johns, which isn't the shoulder directly, but anybody who's twisted an ankle before knows sometimes then something else starts to hurt because you're compensating for that. Mm -hmm. And so even if it's not directly related to the shoulder, there's a good chance it is. Now, I think Twins fans are particularly sensitive to the Twins acquiring damaged goods for lack of a better term. It goes back to the Sam Dyson trade in 2019 oh, where awesome. <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> right. Where I think he pitched like two games for the twins and never pitched in the majors again. Yeah. And basically they're they're the twins were upset about that because they felt like the Rangers didn't disclose some medical information to them mm-hmm. that they should have. Um and so going back to that, I think maybe there's this feeling the fans have that the front office isn't doing their due diligence. And that's not the case at all, right? They knew about Mally's shoulder. They knew that Paddock was an injury risk. They they knew that these things were happening. And that's why they were able to get him for so little. Paddock is another example of this. They gave up a reliever in the last year of team control and a non-prospect for a young starter with three three, four years of team control left when they acquired him and another reliever who we won't mention. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, essentially you got a young starter who had shown good stuff with three years of team control yeah. for a reliever in the last year of team control. That's a crazy get, but they got him because of the injury concern. They got Mally for two mid-level prospects, older prospects in the middle of semi-breakouts because of the injury concern. Mm-hmm. And this has been the other thing that's kind of been the discourse outside of Twins Twitter, which is, you know, pitchers getting hurt. The other team you can look at where this has been happening a lot is the Rays. The Rays have been oh, one of yeah. the best team in baseball for the past 10 years. And right now on the injured lifts, they have Tyler Glass now, Jeffrey Springs, Shane Baz, and now uh, Drew Rasmussen is the latest yep. one. Mm-hmm. And all of those guys are basically on – the Rays because of their injury risk, right? Either in trades or in the draft, they pick them up where they were able to get them for as little as they were able to get them because of the injury risk. And it's just a matter of situational value, right? The twins can't go out and pay $30 million a year for Carlos Rodon. They're just never going to be that team, right? And so instead you pick up Paddock, you pick up Mali, even Pablo Lopez was a pretty big injury concern, Mm -hmm. uh, prior to his last year. And so there's still some concern there long-term. And because of that, it makes it look like, oh, the Rays, they're 
acquiring injured pitchers. They're getting their pitchers hurt. The Twins, why do you keep acquiring damaged goods when the reality is you're only able to get guys that have the potential to be at that top level when you're a small market team if you take on some level of risk. You can't take on the financial risk, so instead you have to take the injury risk. And so to me, what it always comes down to is process over results. And I think basically every single move the Twins have made under the Falvey and Levine regime has had good process. The results haven't always been there, but it's always good process. And that is so far removed from Terry Ryan that I have a really hard time complaining about it. I I will say I like this regime a lot better than the Terry Ryan regime. Right. Um, yeah, I think the weird thing here is the results for Molly, obviously haven't been haven't been there i mean he had some good starts this season but it, yeah i i think there's just said there's that in internal sort of thinking that we all all twins fans do is that we expect doom and gloom and so you know right you, you hear that oh molly had a left imbo, elbow impingement that doesn't sound great he's gonna be put on the 15 day io and then all of a sudden oh he's gonna be put on the 60 day IO, and all oh okay he's he's getting tommy john you know like we should have seen this coming, you know, you know, and I think that's just the most irrational way to approach the situation. Yeah. I think um, related to that, it's been a communication issue too, especially going back to last year where guys had things where it's like, Oh, it'll be a minimal stay. And then they're out for a month or Trevor yeah. Larnick last year, we had the groin strain and then he, I don't think he played again that year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's been a communication issue, which is part of why they made the shift in their training staff. They brought in Nick Paparesta to yep. help shore that up. Uh, partly. And so I I think you can complain about it. You can do whatever, but again, the twins had good process. The rays have good process. That's why, Mm -hmm. despite having one of the lowest payrolls in the league, they're always in the playoffs. They have an all, they have four all-star caliber, uh, excuse me, four all-star caliber starters on the injured list. And they're the best team in baseball. Right. And so um, the, the best teams, operate this way and they still get around it. The Dodgers are another team that operate very similarly where a lot of the guys that they get on those low value deals, they also have the money, but they use that same kind of injury risk, low um, money type of situation to offset the big salaries of Mookie Betts, of Freddie Freeman, of Clayton Kershaw to figure out the rest of their team. Well, and the funny thing you mentioned is that you're not going to go out and pay 30 million for Carlos Rodon who currently has still yet to debut for the Yankees because he's injured. Like, right. Like just because you go out and pay big money for a a free agent pitcher, there's no guarantee that he's going to be healthy when you need him. And so, you know, the injury risk is there. There's some pitchers that come up with more injury risk, right? Jacob deGrom is literally made of glass and it's unfortunate. Right. Um, But with guys like Tyler Molly, who, Yes, he's had some injuries, but it wasn't like a debilitating one where it's like, oh, this guy, like legitimately, if you touch him, he falls apart. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good enough investment. I'll see. It'll be interesting to see what the twins do because he is a free agent after this year. They don't necessarily have an obligation to re-sign him, um, but maybe they think, you know, he's shown us enough that he has clearly the stuff. Maybe he, we can get him to come back and he'll be a fixture in the rotation in the second half of next season and maybe for two more seasons after that, like he's only, he turns 29 this year. So he's still relatively young in, in, you know, 
in Major League Baseball speak. Um, so I, I, that's the thing I'll be looking forward to see is what the Twins ultimately do with with Molly. There's also the chance he never pitches for the Twins again, right? With their yeah. starting depth that they do have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay too because they tw- the Twins made a move to try to make the playoffs, to try to push themselves towards a championship. And again, it's good process. They were doing it for the right reasons, right? This wasn't like a salary dump or anything like that. Yeah. They're trying to put together a competitive team and that puts you in a better spot than, you know, 40% of teams just by itself, right? There's 40% of teams that don't even try to win every single year. Right. And so I, I think, again, obviously the results are not what you want. Nobody's ever going to say that Tyler Malley making eight starts was worth that trade. It wasn't very clearly, but I'm okay with it. it it's a good move. Really quickly, let's look ahead to next week before we wrap up. Uh, So we have the Southern California trip next week where the Twins will be playing the Dodgers and the Angels. The Dodgers, even after losing all the talent they've lost in recent years, are once again on top of the NL West at 25 and 15. Uh, They'll face Noah Syndergaard, Clayton Kershaw, and Dustin May. Um, Syndergaard and Kershaw aren't what they used to be, but they're still pretty solid. Dustin May, on the other hand, man, that stuff looks good. Maybe the results haven't quite been there, but... Every single pitch, it seems like, is moving a lot. So pay attention to him when the Twins face him, for sure. Um, Also, the last time the Twins faced Kershaw, he had a perfect game for seven innings before he got uh, pulled because it was the beginning of the year. So with the Twins' struggles already against lefties, who knows what will happen this time around. That will, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Obviously, Kershaw is basically, I mean, one of the best pitchers of our generation. So, um, it'll, it'll just be a good opportunity for the Twins to, you know, face some real pitching, I guess. Yeah, he's a walking Hall of Famer. It'll be good to see. Um, and you know, another good matchup to see how you face against some of the top level teams, kind of like the Astros and the Yankees earlier this year. A good barometer to see where the Twins are at so far. Uh, and then the Angels. Uh, the Angels are infamously disappointing, but they currently sit at 21-20, and 20, uh, which is not horrible. Um, still trying to put things together. And obviously, they have two of the best players in the game in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, the Twins will face Otani on the mound this time around. Uh, they avoided him last time, so that will be interesting to see. And again, another good uh, place to see where the pitching is doing as well. Because of Otani, of Trout, of Freeman, of Betts, you got these star-studded lineups that uh, the Twins will get a good test against. Yeah, the Dodgers are fifth, and the Angels are eighth right now in Team OPS. The next best team that we had to face was Boston early in the season, and they weren't as good. They've they've definitely heated up as late. So these will be two of the best offenses that we see um, all year. Definitely. So uh, check back in next week to see how the Twins do. We will be right here covering it with you as always. Uh, Be sure to check out our work over at Twinkie Town as well uh, if you want to follow along with the games. Again, we do really great game threads over there that are a lot of fun. And also be sure to check out John at PitcherList for your fantasy baseball needs. John, what is your fantasy tip for the week this week? Uh, Pick up Alex Kirloff. Seriously, go do it. I literally did right before the game today. So I'm already on top of it. Yeah, that's not even a Homer thing. Like he legitimately is like looking like legit. So if he's available, go go yeah. pick him up. Especially for me where it seems like all of my outfielders are getting hurt. I think he's still eligible in the outfield. So 
uh, that, that'll be helpful for me. All right. You can also follow us uh, on Twitter. You can follow John at the John and you can follow myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod and whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. We are there and be sure to give us a five star review if you feel so inclined. We'll be back with you next week to talk more twins. In the meantime, go Minnesota.